Hello there. This is Jim Mosley, your host on the Bible History Guy radio broadcast, sponsored by Winterwood Creative. We're dedicated to turning doubt into Christian faith through facts. So if you have questions about God or the Bible that you would like answered, you can reach me through our website, www.thebiblehistoryguy.com. Or you can email me directly at jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. That's jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. In our last broadcast, we covered how the angel Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah in the Jerusalem temple, foretold the birth of John the Baptist, and struck Zechariah dumb until this prophecy should come to pass. After Elizabeth conceived, Passover rolled around, and Zechariah, being a good Levite and priest, traveled from his hometown to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival, as did all the Jews from all over the world, including Galilee, and almost certainly including the families of Joseph and Mary. There in Jerusalem, Joseph and Mary's family would have the opportunity to witness that Zechariah remained mute, unable to speak. Nevertheless, he certainly would have communicated to them via writing the miraculous prophecy and its fulfillment in Elizabeth's conception. The families of Joseph and Mary would have returned to Galilee having become aware of three miracles. First, Zechariah and Elizabeth, although being advanced in years, had conceived a son. The angel Gabriel, who had appeared to only one other person in history, the prophet Daniel, had appeared to Zechariah and had prophesied the birth of John the Baptist. And finally, the Messiah was about to come, and his forerunner was about to come through their family, their relatives. Well, after the Passover in 3 BC, Elizabeth's pregnancy continued in health, and the months rolled around to the next great pilgrimage feast, Pentecost, which fell on Friday, May 30th. Zechariah, of course, again traveled to Jerusalem, and Mary, Joseph, and their parents and relatives no doubt once more had the chance to meet him there and observe that his muteness continued. They would also have learned that Elizabeth's pregnancy was proceeding well. Around Friday, August 15th, Elizabeth's six months of pregnancy began, and she came out of hiding. Her womb was swollen with life. The miracle foretold by Gabriel was now evident for all to see. In this sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in Galilee to Mary, a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. Gabriel told Mary that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and conceive Jesus, son of the Most High, in her womb. Gabriel also informed her that Elizabeth had conceived a son in her old age and that this was the sixth month of her pregnancy, adding that nothing is impossible with God. Around that time, on Saturday, the Sabbath, September 13th, in 3 BC, the Holy Spirit immaculately conceived Jesus in the virgin womb of Mary. On that very Sunday, the teenage Mary believed she was pregnant. She knew the pregnancy was of the Holy Spirit. She trusted God. But she probably did not have quite as much faith in her family, in Joseph, and in Joseph's family. If they didn't believe her, if they thought she'd become pregnant by another man, the penalty under Mosaic law would be either death by stoning or ignominious return to her father's house. Where was Mary to turn for help and support? Who would believe her? Well, helpfully, the angel who spoke to Mary identified himself as Gabriel, the same angel who had spoken to her relative Zechariah. If anyone would accept Mary's story... Zechariah and Elizabeth might. 
So she wanted to go to them in haste. Perhaps they would help her break the news to the rest of the family. But the young Mary could hardly travel from Galilee to Judea alone. Who would escort her? And how would she explain her need to go quickly? Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, was on a Friday in that year. As Jews from outside Jerusalem, tradition required that Galileans begin their observation of pilgrimage feasts a day early, so as not to miscalculate and miss the day. In this case, that meant celebrating in Jerusalem on Thursday. Jews in Galilee had to depart no later than Sunday to arrive on Wednesday, September 17th, to be ready for their devotions on the following day. This mandatory pilgrimage provided Mary with the chance to go to Judea with her family. Once there, she knew she would meet Zechariah, who also would have to make the pilgrimage faithfully to Jerusalem for the high holy days of fall. Of course, he would then return home, and what could be more natural than for Mary to suggest that she go with him to attend to her relative Elizabeth, who might have a difficult childbirth, given that she was expecting her first child at an advanced age. This is how Mary could get to Judea without attracting undue notice. But she had to move fast to get her family to agree to it and be ready in time to join the caravan going south. Mary and her family, and probably Joseph and his family, departed from Galilee on the required journey to Jerusalem for Rosh Hashanah on Sunday, September 14th, the very day Mary conceived Jesus. Mary was a quick-thinking young woman, and she arose in haste indeed. At the end of the High Holy Days, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, on Monday, October 13th, Mary probably bade farewell to Joseph and to his parents and to her parents, who returned north to Galilee, while she traveled south with her mute relative Zechariah to stay with Elizabeth. Mary was in her second month of pregnancy. She probably had morning sickness, but she didn't show yet. She was getting away to the Judean hills, just in time. It took only an hour and a half to travel from Jerusalem to Ein Karem, the village where Zechariah lived. The pregnant Mary entered Zechariah's house and met the pregnant Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby John leapt in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Well, God graciously spared Mary an awkward explanation. After just saying hello, God revealed to Elizabeth the sanctity of Mary's pregnancy and even went further. He gave Elizabeth the knowledge that Mary's child would be the Messiah. And Elizabeth supported Mary's belief in what she had heard by saying Mary was blessed for believing what Gabriel had told her. A pointed contrast to her mute husband, Zechariah, who had not believed Gabriel and who was, without doubt, listening to these words of his wife, Elizabeth. Mary must have been relieved and overjoyed by Elizabeth's understanding of what her pregnancy meant. Clearly inspired by the Holy Spirit, she uttered a beautiful psalm known as the Magnificat because the first sentence of Mary's psalm in Latin is Magnificat anima mea dominum, my soul magnifies the Lord. Zechariah surely heard all these things and must have marveled that over the course of human history, the angel Gabriel had only appeared to three people now, Daniel himself and his teenage relative, Mary. Although mute, Zechariah had ears 
and his Levitical priestly training may well have moved him to write down every word that Mary spoke through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so that others might profit from this psalm in days and years to come. Mary remained with Elizabeth and Zechariah for the rest of Elizabeth's pregnancy, about three months. When John the Baptist was born around December 1st, 3 BC, Mary was at her relative Elizabeth's side. On Tuesday, December 9th, eight days after John's birth, the religious doctors in Zechariah's village came to circumcise the child. When Zechariah's family asked what the son's name should be, Elizabeth, remembering Gabriel's command to her husband, said it must be John. The neighbors made signs to Zechariah, protesting that none of his family had the name John, and so his son shouldn't have it either. It's amusing that the people made signs to Zechariah instead of speaking to him, because he was dumb, not deaf. This is what people often do with mutes, assume that just because they cannot speak, they cannot hear. Then Zechariah wrote on a tablet, His name is John. All the people marveled at that, but they wondered even more when Zechariah suddenly recovered his speech. Fear came on them, because they realized this was indeed a miracle child. Gabriel had not said that Zechariah would be mute until the birth of John, but that he would be mute until all these things take place. So John's circumcision was the great day, the day when the forerunner of the Messiah, the new Elijah, came into the covenant community of God. Mary and Elizabeth witnessed the miraculous recovery of Zechariah's speech, and fulfillment of this promise by Gabriel must have reassured Mary that God would support her against possible human recriminations for her miraculous pregnancy. The hand of God was visibly at work. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Zechariah pronounced a beautifully phrased prophecy reminiscent of the psalm Mary had composed 56 days before. Since Elizabeth and Zechariah were advanced in age at the time of John's birth, they probably did not live to witness the public ministry and untimely execution of their beloved son. On Thursday, December 11th, Mary and Zechariah would have arrived on schedule in Jerusalem for the Feast of Hanukkah. Mary no doubt met her family and Joseph and his family at the feast, which began on Friday, December 12th. They could have left Jerusalem a day earlier on Wednesday, but Zechariah probably would have wanted to wait a day to see how John recovered from the circumcision. He did fine, but there was probably another reason for a day's delay. After nine months of being mute, he probably had much he wanted to say to his wife Elizabeth. This Hanukkah rendezvous in Jerusalem was probably part of Mary's plan for Mary to go to Elizabeth's aid in the first place. She had traveled south with the family on the Rosh Hashanah pilgrimage in September, traveled with Zechariah from Jerusalem to his house in Judea, stayed with Elizabeth until Elizabeth gave birth, and returned to Jerusalem in December so that Mary's family could escort her back home to Galilee. Since the Jewish calendar and human gestation were predictable, Mary needed no prophetic powers to lay down this plan. Mary was now about three months pregnant. She probably still did not yet show, but it was probably at this time that she confided to Joseph and to her family that she had conceived by the Holy Spirit. The accumulation of miracles in the life of Zechariah, his meeting with Gabriel, his loss of speech, the miracle birth of John the Baptist, and the recovery of his speech, no doubt helped Joseph's and Mary's families to accept Mary's account. Also, Mary probably repeated her Magnificat, and Zechariah probably repeated his prophecy for the families to hear. After all, if these psalms have been preserved for us, surely Mary and Zechariah shared them with their families then. These must have been among the things that Joseph considered when resolving to divorce Mary quietly. 
Joseph probably believed Mary's story as soon as he heard it. He probably didn't need the dream of an angel to accept what she said as truth. Living in a small town like Nazareth as a young teenager, Mary had little, if any, opportunity for an illicit sexual encounter. When she traveled to visit her relative Elizabeth, she was chaperoned by her priestly relative, Zechariah. Moreover, Joseph probably trusted Mary personally. Mary was a special person. God chose her of all the billions of women ever born to be the mother of the Messiah. God saw much good in Mary, and if God did, Joseph would have done so as well. Mary was undoubtedly a person whose candor and purity made believing her easy. But as a just man, Joseph was a Jew who revered Mosaic law. If he mistrusted Mary, the law would require him to denounce her to the community and face death by stoning. Instead, he took the decision to divorce her quietly, probably not because he doubted her, but because he believed her. Joseph may have felt unworthy to be the stepfather of Mary's miracle child, the Messiah. He may have feared to accept so great a role. After all, God had sent an angel to Mary, but no angel to him. Yet, but then an angel of the Lord did appear to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You've been listening to Jim Mosley your host on the Bible History Guy radio broadcast, sponsored by Winterwood Creative. The material you've just heard came from my latest book, The Biographies of Jesus' Apostles. This book makes a great Christmas gift, and we have a limited-time special offer for you. That's 50% off the cover price, or the Amazon Kindle version of the book for only $2.99. But hurry, because this is a limited-time offer. Just go to our website, thebiblehistoryguy.com, click on New Books, and if you want the paperback, click on the paperback link and input the coupon code SAVE50. That's S-A-V-E-5-0. SAVE50 for 50% off the paperback price. If you want the Amazon Kindle for $2.99, click on that link and it will take you right to the Kindle page. If you enjoy the book, leave a positive review, and if you want to contact me directly, my email is jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com. That's jim at thebiblehistoryguy.com.